Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Hello, friends, Dance. Before we get started, I'd like to thank you so much for listening to the three series episodes that came out last week for Hanukkah. I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate you reaching out. By reaching out, I mean sending me private messages. Some people send me WhatsApps as they listen. I love getting to know you one by one. It's really helping me curate the topics for this podcast. So when you speak out, I can speak back to you, and it is my honor and pleasure to be doing it. Now, have you been enjoying this podcast? Do you enjoy the show? Are you telling other people to listen? Please do. And one other beautiful way you can support the show and myself is by referring clients to me for my podcasting business, where I help podcasters launch their podcast successfully. Today's episode is super intense. I don't know if you have heard of the cult Lev Tahor, a religious Jewish cult that is currently based in Guatemala that is abusing and torturing two to three hundred Jewish people. Today we are speaking with someone who survived and escaped. Welcome to the Francisca Show, Francis. I am so honored to be here today because we have such a unique guest, a survivor, a very strong person, one of the younger guests we've ever had on the show. And it's truly an honor to have him on today. We have Mendy Levy with us, who is currently in Canada, and he is a left to horror survivor. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. Mendy, tell us, when did you learn English? I learned English about two years ago when I left. So you grew up speaking Hebrew and Yiddish and you just no. picked up English? Hebrew was forbidden, uh, but we grew up with Yiddish and Spanish. And then picking up a new language, how long did it take you to start speaking English? Because it's so impressive. Well, I'm not perfect in English yet, but I'm, I can manage it took me about a half a year. Wow. I would like to give you the microphone and let you start sharing your story. I want to preface with that you are so young and you've probably shared your story so many times. You have so many followers on Instagram and you are really fighting the fight because you know there are other people who need you right now. And this is probably not the most comfortable place to go back to. And people keep asking you to do it. So thank you for taking the time today to share it with us. I'll just give an overview. Leif Tahor started off in the United States. Then they ran off to Canada. No, no it started off in, in, Israel. in Israel. It started off in Israel, then it ended up in the United States, then in Canada. And yeah, now you could continue. I mean, you know. <laughs> and then they went to Guatemala because they were left alone. And I just watched the video that was posted yesterday, right? 
Yeah, it's on Instagram. It's on Instagram. So this is a cult of 200, 300 people led by one rabbi and his family that's assisting him. Tell us about your childhood. Now that you're exposed to what other, what the rest of the world, at least the Western world lives, what was it like for you? In the beginning, it was normal for me. I mean, for now that I look back, I feel like this was this was definitely abuse and this wasn't normal. But at the time when I was there, I thought this is real life and I didn't know of any different option. But when I got to the age of 12, I started realizing that thing, when we started moving, I started seeing the outside world a little because when we were in Canada, none of the kids were going outside besides the doctor. There was no going to stores, no going to trips, no traveling. There was no, I never went with a plane, never went with anywhere out of the place besides for emergencies of the place they used to live in Canada, St. Agathe. So for me, it was normal life. I was like, this is how we grew up, but this is how everybody is. But slowly, slowly, I started seeing different life. And in Guatemala, they had visitors from the outside world, like coming to help. My my eyes started opening a little about mm, this is not right. This is this is a bit crazy. And this is when I started thinking about leaving. And not just that. And another thing that made me start thinking about leaving is because in Guatemala, they started changing the rules to a different level. Like in Canada. So the father died and the sons took over and made it much worse. You got to forget about when the father died. Like even when the father was still alive. Because the only reason they decided to leave from Canada to Guatemala is because they had a lot of trouble with the government of Canada because they were hitting, abusing, making young marriages. At that time, they did marriages of 40. Now they're doing a 12. And the reason why I decided to go to Guatemala, because in Guatemala, you could do whatever you want. The law isn't that strong. You know, the government is quiet. Uh, there's a lot of crimes in Guatemala. It's, it's a poor country. And t- once they arrived, they started making horrible rules. And stuff. They started hitting kids more often and stuff like that. And making young marriages. So can you talk to me a little bit about the physical abuse that goes on? Of course. There's a lot of physical abuse, meaning if let's say you don't know what, we, what you learned in the week, because they have their own studies. You have to know what they want to learn. Like they, they, they wouldn't uh, teach any Chabad for them. Any, by the way, any safer, any book that has a symbol of Chabad, they would burn with fire no matter what. Why? Because they're very against other communities. They think they're the only one. And this is how they brainwash by showing, oh, this is wrong. We're going to burn it. This is one of the ways. So if you don't know one of the studies they, they, they teach in the week, by the end of the week, when you have to know it by heart, if you don't know it, they'll just put you on a table and hit you. They'll take a stick, hit you on your, on your hand. I read about Malchus. Yeah, they call it Malchus. This is what we call it in Hebrew. It's more like slaps, but yeah, that's the idea. Tell me about your experience. You started noticing that this is not okay and you were exposed to other people. Talk to me about that and how you started noticing it. And also, they, they, usually they were smart how they were controlling. But when they came to Guatemala, they did big, big moves, big transitions. Like people started seeing that things were wrong. Like from one day, you, you didn't marry, marry anyone under 14. Now it's 12. Like what's the connection? Like he started making rules that all the men have to sleep in the synagogue and all the women have to be at home. Only the men and women can only meet each other once in, in the weekend with, I mean, on Shabbat. He did a lot of new rules in Guatemala. Like he would tell boys, you can't talk for a year, for two years. He would tell boys, you go out of your mom's house, just like that. Like no, no questioning why. And no one ever tried questioning back. 
It was everyone was scared to question. It wasn't like an option. Talk to me about family life. You expressed that it wasn't allowed for parents to show any affection and love toward their children. What do you mean right. by that? A mother and father can't hug a child in life to her. A mother can't really give presents for the kid. They don't let the kids connect with their parents. And the reason why I think now that I'm, that I'm, that I'm out and, and started thinking about life, this, the reason why I think they did it is because they don't want kids to have any connection with their parents any emotional connection, meaning if the leader's going to hit him, usually a kid would go cry to his mom, yeah? My teacher hit me in school. I, I, I got bullied. They don't want that to happen. So they don't want the mom to have any emotional connection with the child. Do you have any memories of your siblings, your mother, your father, anything beautiful that was, were there any memories that you cling to? Well, I have memories of my mother and father. I mean, the kids also, well, it was a time we lived together for like a few years. I mean, only since my father died, they started taking away the kids from my mom and father. But we had good memories in the house. Can you share one memory maybe on Shabbat? Just to sit on the table with everyone on Shabbat it was very nice. So how did you know your parents loved you if they couldn't hug you or tell you? I didn't. I mean, I knew they care, you know. So talk to me about your escape. About my escape. This is something I don't like to talk about a lot. The reason why I decided like enough is enough is because there came a point where everyone had to get married, like a very young age. And they tried to force me to get married when the girl was my first cousin, meaning my mother's sister's younger daughter, to get married with me. And she was 12 and I was 15. Did you know her? Or are the boys and girls completely separated? No, we definitely like we, you don't see the way we cover the faces. If you, if, you, if you, like, there's so many pictures on Google. If you're searching Google Life to Horror Woman, it's gonna come up right away. But I knew who she was. I mean, I knew more or less my family there, but uh, I didn't want. I didn't want. What did you have within you to fight to to try to find something else? This is how it went. Hey, this is how it went. He calls me into his container. Like everyone has a container there. He tells the guy, I called Mandy. He calls me. I mean, there was a lot of more stories before. Like, I don't want to share everything in my personal life with him. Like how he used to abuse me in different ways and brainwash me and lie to me and different things. But like, that was one of the last conversations I had with Rabbi. Every boy has conversations. He calls him boys like that. He, the old Rabbi used to call him boys and molester the boys at the same time. But I'm talking about recent stories. And he called me and he tells me, Everyone is married here. You have to get married. And uh, this, this. And he tells me, I want you to get married to your first cause. And I was like, no, I don't want. I, don't, I really didn't want. And I didn't want to get married then. And you have to understand, when you t- most boys in Satmar, like if they're 18 years old, they would want to get married most. I'm not saying everybody. You know why? Because they're not exposed to girls in Shiva. And, they, and everybody wants to, to start living life. You know, they're a teenager and they're 18. They want to start, get, they want to get married. Right? They don't have such a thing as girlfriend. But in life to hard, I didn't understand the idea of marriage. Like we didn't know nothing about sex, nothing about relationship. There was nothing, you know, we had no idea how a girl actually looks like. So when he asked me that, I, I, there was no, no reason why I wanted to get married. I told him I don't want, and I just didn't want. There's a lot of more details in it, but I, I just don't want to share the whole story exactly now. And I told him no, but he kept on fighting a whole night. We, we started the meeting about 10 o'clock. He called me into his container and we finished the meeting about seven in the morning, a whole night. I told him, no, he told me, you know what? Go to the synagogue. He put me in the synagogue across the container to wait a few hours. Three in the morning, the guy calls me in again. 
and I see the girl that he wants me to get married with is sitting on the chair crying. I don't know what went on exactly. I was out for a few hours. I don't know what, what he did to her. She's crying and he's asking her, do you want to get married? And she's saying no. So he didn't let us leave the container, his place where he's sleeping until we both said yes. I was supposed to get married with her soon. The day after I said yes, I was ready. I, I already left the, the camp. So you would just walked out of that wired fence. You climbed over it. Not exactly. I have reason why I don't want to share the whole story now. Hope you understand. I was in Guatemala for a few months because I had no passport. I couldn't just go to Canada. So the only option I really was able to go to is Canada because I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm born in Canada. Unless Israel, because my mother's from Israel. But like, besides that, I had no choice. I went to the Canadian consul for a while. I had to wait for a passport. And after a few months, I got in contact with the Child Protection Services, DYP in Canada. And they helped me from Guatemala. They paid my ticket. So I ended up coming back to Canada, where I born. Where did you go from there? You arrived in Canada. So, oh, so I, I arrived in Samoan and Tosh. I was there for a few months. And then I didn't like the place. It was an older man. He was just here to help, but he was very nice. But it just that I wanted to live with a family and maybe someone a little younger. So I... I worked on finding a different family. So I went to a different family. He's known actually in the Hasidic world. His name is Isaac Weiss, a very nice guy. I stayed there for a little while. And then I went to Yeshiva in New York. I was in a different family touch later. Then I went to Yeshiva in New York. And I didn't like the Yeshiva. I didn't like it so much. So I went to a few different families, came back to Canada after. Like after New York, I came back to Canada, which is I'm right now in a Chabad family in Canada. They adopted you? not adopted they fostered me no one adopted me i'm not gonna let that happen <laughs> well somewhere i read that you got adopted by a chabad family i saw it's a business insider they didn't understand me well uh, are you in therapy right now what's your life now post life tahor well i go to therapy once in a while i don't go so often but what do you mean what's my life post life tahor Meaning I, we have a segment on this show. It's called No More Silence, where I interview survivors of abuse. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge part of their life that is very traumatic. Then they figure out that that's traumatic and it's wrong and they get out of it. They fight. And then life happens, the survival life, where you learn how to cope in your new life without that abuse. You figure out how that has affected you in negative ways. Perhaps there are things that survivors want to deal with and fix so they don't take that baggage into their future relationships, into their future life, so they can repair and heal, not not fix in a bad way. But if it just stays as open wounds that you never dealt with emotionally. What, what I realized after going through all this trauma and pain is that this, this built my life in, in many ways. Like when I was younger, I would get like things will hurt me much more versus now. Oldest challenges in going through things is what built me a lot. Like now I could deal with a lot of things, my own, like I don't need to go to therapy for every little thing that happens. But again, I do have days that things come up and I, and I could see, let's say sometimes I could just see a family of kids walking with their father or mother. I feel like this is very hard that I don't have it. Like I, I, I remember the time that I did have it and it'll hurt me or I could just go to, like when I was in yeshiva, I looked at the system in yeshiva, like in the outside world, like it felt like, I can't believe this is what I went through every single day, getting hit, getting punished, tortured. Like, this is not real life, you know? 
What about the food situation? You grew up thinking a lot of things weren't kosher that were kosher. So the food situation, they don't allow a lot of things. They're claiming it's not kosher. For example, milk, meat, fish, eggs, coffee, only if you go to the field and cut it. Sugar, they're not allowing sugar. You could only use sugar as honey or the sticks, you know, that sticks of sugar. Nothing that you buy, nothing that comes from animal. So we're eating basically bread and, and vegetables, fruit and vegetables. There are certain fruit they wouldn't eat. For example, mango, grapes. They say has worms. They're not allowed to eat it. What about kiddish? Kiddish. So what did they end up doing in the end? So the way they do make juice from grapes, they take the grapes, they them, mash them, and they have they put a little piece of material and they squish it and then it comes out. So you're not allowed to eat grapes, but you could mash them? You call it an Yiddish Zion. I don't know how to say it in English properly. So real grapes without like doing everything you're not allowed to eat. Do you feel like you were starving as a child? Yeah. A lot of times I was just very hungry. I'd wish to have like just a little pita with avocado. Tell me about your life's mission right now. What do you do day to day? And what's your life like now? You're not in yeshiva. You took up photography and music. Yeah. You're working on a few Netflix series. I'm working at a matzah bakery right now. Like it's not going to be like officially, but this is right now because I need to make money at some point. I can't, I don't want to be at home all day. I do photography, side work, like editing pictures, videos. I take family shoots, photo shoots, portraits. I have school in the morning from nine to 12. What are you studying? Just basic catching up, like reading, writing, math, just to get that point where it could be on my own. And you're in a college, community college? No. Uh, it's a high, high school to catch up. It's a Jewish school in, uh, in Montreal. It's called Banav. But I'm hoping to get into college in January. And you're living with this family in... In Montreal. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? That's very nice. I mean, I really like the family and stuff. They're really taking care. They've been helping me a lot. There's so many things I didn't know that I learned in this family. I mean, basic things in life, like life skills, like how to talk to people. There was a lot of things I learned since I came into this family. Can you give me a few more examples? Just names of food. Like I didn't know anything about this is called how to eat this. And I like, I I didn't have this as a child. Do you feel like you have trust issues? What do you mean? Because you were taught so many things and then the people you've trusted were lying to you about everything. I actually had a lot in the beginning, but uh, I'm keeping balance. Do you have friends, people your age? I have a lot all over New York. I have like, I'd say 50 friends at least like in Canada. I have a lot. Yeah. Miami. Like I'm, I have friends. I have people are really good friends. So your brother also escaped around the same time as you, and he lives in Israel right now. Are you planning to reconnect with him? We did. I met him about a month ago, I'd say in New York. We chilled a little, we had a week together. Do you want to reunite with the rest of your family? Of course. (laughs) So what's in the plan for that? Do they want to be rescued? Do they feel like they're in trouble? It's a 50-50. I'd say the younger kids for sure want, but to say my mother wants to go out, I tell you it's a 50-50 and I'll tell you why. Because she 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 grew up and left her as as a small girl. And she's really brainwashed. She's really believed. She doesn't know about a different world. The second she comes out and, she, and I show her the, the new world and I'm telling her what she missed and what she's missing, 
And I mean, tell her this is not how you should be treated and your kid should be treated. She's going to appreciate me for life for introducing it to the normal world. Have you ever seen your mother kiss a child? Never. Never. I, I just can't imagine that being ever a possibility. <laughs> I just can't imagine. It sounds so... We have a group chat. All my older people left, left are, which is me and two cousins and another guy and Mayor Boyer in Israel. We're actually cousins at some point. And we're sometimes talking like, like I can't believe this was how we were treated. And this is how we always like look back sometimes in the chat. It is crazy. But my father, my father, if I would anytime ask my father, do you want to leave here? Leave. My father wanted us to leave the community. He grew up in the community as well? No, because he grew up in a normal, very, very open-minded family. My father grew up in a Sephardi family. He's Moroccan. That's Israel. He went to a mixed school. He had a very easy life in terms of religion, in terms of, uh, of abuse. Like my family were quite rich in Israel. He didn't have any of these issues until he got introduced to Left Harsh. But we have to understand when he came into Left Harsh, Left Harsh was very easy. It was like going into Muncie, like any community in Muncie. He didn't have any of this. They were very welcome, very easy on everybody, very nice, giving a bunch of attention to each and everyone. The rabbi was a genius how he started this. And that's the only way, slowly, slowly, he brought them to a different level. You think his goal was always to become a cult? Hey, yes. I mean, it, it happened a few years later. You have nine siblings, 10 siblings? Yeah, with me is 11, 10. Can you talk about your father, him not being able to seek medical treatment? What was going on? In the end, in Guatemala, they decided that they became very strict about leaving the community. Usually the parents were able to go to stores and stuff. But then they were, you know what? No one can leave for anything. There's a security guard by the door. No one is allowed to leave for anything. My father came to a point where he got sick. He had an infection in his blood. Well, we didn't know at the time that he had an infection. He was just sick for a week, two, and we kept on pushing that he has to go to a doctor. He has to go see a doctor. They didn't care. The leader said he's making it more than it actually is. Nothing happened, nothing happened until it came, to, it came to a point where he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. He was like, his face were normal. And then they gave him permission to go to the hospital. But at that time, he was already over. Meaning a few hours later, he died. And the hospital clearly said if he came even a day before, they'd be able to save him. First thing he came, we put him in a respirator. First thing. Was your mother angry? Of course. I remember everything. She kept on sending me and my brother, go say that he needs to go to the hospital. He needs to go. He needs to go. They didn't care. I'm so sorry about what happened to your father. No, I don't know even know who gave permission in the end to go. My brother should know exactly who. I don't know exactly who gave the permission to go. But at some point, he ended up going. The, I mean, the security guard came up and took him with a tuk-tuk. Like in Guatemala, is like a, there's no like real cars, you know? It's like tuk the air's cars, but like. There's a lot of tuk-tuks. Like carts? It's a tuk-tuk. It's like a small bike. I don't know how to call it. It's like a motorcycle. It works with the gas. Do you have your father's family, extended family in Israel? Are they supportive? Very supportive. Have you considered going to Israel? I wanted, but I didn't have the time and money yet. But one day, I wasn't going to say time so much because I had a whole summer to chill. But like, it's more a question of money, yeah. And they didn't offer to bring you in? No. I know you have a musical side to you. Would you like to talk about that? You are very talented in your piano playing. Not piano, keyboard, I'd say more. Okay. Yeah. 
course of different things. But yeah, so the first day when I came out of Lake Tahoe and I arrived to Canada to the family in touch, I saw a little keyboard in the bedroom, like a little baby keyboard. And I started playing with it. And I was so anxious, like, this is music. This is how music works. I started playing and playing hours a day. I wasn't in Yeshiva. I couldn't go. The Yeshiva didn't want to accept me in touch. Hours I played on the keyboard and keyboard. And then someone brought me a bigger keyboard. He's like, why is brother? There are bigger keyboards. And I played and I played. And then slowly, slowly, I became quite good in keyboard now. Yeah. I love playing. I could play it just like sometimes at night. I just can't take off my head. But I play and play and play and play. And what music do you listen to? I, I mostly like listen to Jewish music because this is still like the music I like to play. But I play like Justin Bieber. I'd say every ex kid, the first thing you listen is Justin Bieber. It's the first kosher thing after yeah, Hasidish yeah. music. It's clean. And yeah. Have you played for people's events? Oh, plenty. Do you write your own music? No, I was thinking to compose a song about Leif Tower one day, about like a very emotional song about a story, like make a little story out of it. I'm doing it sometimes at night. I'm trying to work it out. Nice. I know with music, there's a lot of associations with memories. Are there any songs you don't like singing because you used to sing them in Leif Tower? No, actually, I like everything. Songs, I, I just love every song. Unless it's just uh, not my type of music, but like most songs I like. Do you have any negative religious feelings toward Judaism because of how Lev Tahor really made it disgusting? There's one thing I don't like is when we're forcing people to do stuff. When you force someone to put on film, because that kills the idea of religion. You're abusing the system. But not all of them. Again, there's like a third of a hundred. But the rest of them, I love Hasidim. I love Orthodox. I'm very pro-Judaism. The reason I wanted to have you on, besides for you being a super incredible person with a very unique story, is because what we talk about on the podcast a lot are Jewish taboo topics and things that if we don't pay attention to them, minhagim become chumras and then become standards. And then the next thing you know, chas v'shalom, you end up in a cult and they're all doing it in the name of Judaism. But there are places in Beit Shemesh, in Israel, in America, where there is no freedom and where people are using violence, where they they throw rocks or they spit or they spray paint because they think other people are disgracing the name of God. And they're not a cult, but that's not okay. A hundred percent. This is completely wrong. Where do you think the line is? Yeah, I've seen a couple and like in Israel, Bahram throwing rocks because the, the, the people are not keeping Shabbat. I mean, if you want to keep Shabbat, good for you. Amazing. I'm proud of you. Keep. But don't be like a controller for other people. You do you. God is happy about you. Like, don't worry about other people. Let other people live their life. If you don't want them to get into your life, why would get into their life? This is definitely, I really hate that one. I find it's such a big Hillel Hashem. Always them standing with the signs and making the biggest Hillel Hashem possible. And they're going on busy streets like this in the highways, standing like that, like, this is such a Hillel Hashem, you have no idea. I'd like to ask you about the woman's experience, the female experience in Left Tahor. How much do you know about, do they get treated worse than the boys and the men? Again, so I never saw a girl getting hit because this was, we weren't, we weren't seeing women at all. Like besides just seeing a black woman walking in the street, like we covered with the whole, the whole body, like with this clothing and everything. The burkas. But I do know for a fact that girls, girls are being hit in the, in, in the girls school. Like 
same as boys. We put, we hit them with belts and we're giving them malkis and the same thing. I know ex girl. There is a few girls that I mean I don't know if a few, but there's for sure one. But left left are you could there's stories. Girls are also being abused and tortured in left are. Did you ever talk to your siblings about things that were happening and complain about it? Never. So everyone was very quiet in their suffering. Yeah. That's the worst part. You don't talk about your trauma. You don't talk about how you feel. You don't have a choice to talk about it. A lot of people in life have a mental breakdown. A lot of people. In such a small community, there's so much boys, Bahram, are taking high pills. If they don't take that pill, they don't sleep for three days. You talk about your mental breakdown and your rock bottom moment. What was your wake up call? Your attempt at suicide. So that was actually in the beginning when we moved to Guatemala. This is what I'm telling you. They made big moves very fast. They changed rules very fast. I ended up going to the hospital, couldn't sleep for nights. Like imagine a kid not sleeping for two full days. How would you would you react? You weren't like you would go with sugar. This was before we moved to the little village. We were in Guatemala City then. In the little village, this is where they had the gates and everything. Like it, they call it Buvel. It's in uh, Santa Rosa. And my mom took me into the hospital with the ambulance. I was there and I, they had to give me needles to be able to sleep. I didn't want to see myself. I wanted to kill myself in so many ways. I remember what I tried doing the whole time. It's just so hard even to talk about it. Like the amount of macas we got a day. Like the, the leader would take me in his house and close the door and just pick up my suit and pants and just hit me like that, like for hours. And I could cry, like had no problem doing that. Why would I want to see myself again? I'm asking you, like, how is that even possible? And we would get this every day in different ways. And of course, if, if you tell the hospital you want to kill yourself, they're not going to let you out until you're being treated normal. But I, I feel so stupid right now for not talking about why I feel that way. I never, it never came across to my mind because I was so controlled. We, in Canada, we always want this. If ever, anytime someone is asking me, we're here, always say, no, we're happy here. We're happy. We're happy. Oh, this is what I always say. And now I'm looking back. I should have just said. I, I want to kill myself because I'm being hit every day. I have no control, no rights over myself. I lived in fear 24-7. Well, don't beat yourself up for that because our minds protect us in a way because you didn't know what the alternative is. Yeah. And you didn't know what it would mean to speak up for yourself. Again, now, as long as I'm healthy now, I love myself. I would never kill myself. And I moved on. It's old trauma. But I'm just telling you how... If I would feel that way, there's so many more boys who feel that way. And especially now that it's only getting worse and worse. Can you share some more of the rules that you haven't yet? Like there's so many kids who are being taken away from their parents just like that. Like just think about this. Imagine you have a child and all of a sudden a man has decided I'm taking away your child and I'm putting it at my house. Like you have no rights to talk to him. He doesn't have a right to talk to you. How would that feel? And who takes care of these children? They place them in different families. So they're just interchanging children with different parents? My sister was uh, for, I think, for two years. One year for sure at at the Yul Weingarten's house. Just like that. Yul Weingarten is one of the biggest leaders. And she would get hit. She was young. She was like, what, five, six years old? Just like that. Yul Weingarten is now in prison. Good for him. He's now in prison. The the, the two main leaders, Nachman and and Mai Rosen, are facing life in prison. They're going to die there. That's it, done. And the people who are running it, they're still around. Now, you know what? Because all these people are arrested, there's definitely a, a lot less I'm, I'm torturing there and, and hitting and uh, people getting abused now. Like, it's much less because there's not a lot of pe- people who are controlling it. There's still a few. There's the Goldman, there's the Malka, there's Rumpler, there's a few Malkas. But there's some good Malkas too, by the way, in Leiftar. But I'm saying, I'm just giving an idea. 
there's like five more people are taking control there. But once that is over, once that also once this two Weingarten brothers are being extradited to the United States, I'm telling you, this is slowly, slowly going to fall apart. People are going to see no one is controlling. We have a choice to leave. Like we're not scared of anybody. The boys, like especially the teenagers, started going to start thinking of ways to get out. It's already starting now because the main is out. They're arrested. There are seven people are sitting in jail. Wow. When did this happen? First arrest happened a few years ago in the U.S. I don't exactly think two years ago in the U.S. for kidnapping kids from a mother. And the second one happened a few months ago in Guatemala. And when people leave the community, what happens to the families that stay? I know in Russia, I don't know how much you know about world history, but in Russia, when people during communism would ask to leave and get visas to leave Russia, if they did get to leave their families, they would either lose their jobs or get punished because they were related to the traitors who left. Do you mean if someone would leave left to her, what would happen with their family? Do they get shamed and punished? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if punished, but they would get shamed. Like you didn't give them good chenech and stuff like that. And they would t- always tell their brothers, you know, I've had it with my uncle. They, they do that. Any parting words that you'd like to share with our audience? That if anybody has any relatives in Leif Tahar or any family and wants to get them out, first of all, they want to reach out to me for the right way because people think it's always just to go there with police and make a rescue. It's not that simple. It's the way we're going to have to talk to them because I, I remember what happened to me right away when it came out. It's also with being careful not to go too fast. I wouldn't be able to go to a Chabad family right after from Leif Tahar. I would go to a Satmar family because I still balance myself normally. If you take them right away to a Sephardi family, a Chabad family where we speak English and where we, the women dress a bit different than Satmar, you know, automatically they'll feel like they did a big mistake. They'll feel guilty versus putting them in a Satmar community. It could be a will work for some people to go to a Sephardi family because I know someone who right away did it and he really liked it. There's someone in Israel who left Leif Tahar. And his family's not even religious at all. And he really liked it. So I'm not saying guaranteed. But like, there's a lot of things. You have to know how to, how to talk to them, how to welcome them. But what I'm trying to say is like this. If anybody has family or knows anybody, a friend that is in life to our relatives, anybody should get them out as soon as possible. You went to Satmar family when you came out? Yeah. A Tosh family. It's, even more, it's a bit more extreme than Satmar. Okay, I didn't know they existed even. <laughs> I, I liked it, you know. Now I'm happy where I am and... I feel like I did slow moves. I didn't go too fast. Yeah. Do you know how you want to live your life? Yeah. What is it? I want to marry either a Chabad girl or a Sephardi girl or ex-Hasidish. I don't want to get married with someone who's 100% religious and from because this is not who I am. Again, I respect everyone for what they are, for their religion, for what they do. But like me, myself, I want to keep life. You, you want to have the agency to choose for yourself and for your family. This is what I'm thinking. You know, I might change my mind in a few years, but like, I feel like I, I don't think now I'll change my mind. Well, if you want to be Satmar, you have to get married now or no, else no, you're going to be an old man. <laughs> I love Satmar so much. They're very nice people, but I don't want to be Satmar now. I really don't. I don't mind marrying an ex Satish girl because I'll tell you why, because she'll be able to understand me in a lot of ways because she went through similar things. I mean, she understands the Hasidic society, but to get married, someone is actually Satmar and from and everything. No. Not happening. You want somebody who understands it, but is not necessarily doing it right yeah, now. Yeah, I want to be able to, to have things in common in a way, you know? And I guess if someone, if someone is looking for how to reach out to me, they could always go on Instagram. My name on Instagram is Mandy.Levy. Levy is spelled L-E-V-Y. 
and I don't respond always because especially now I, I stopped responding to anybody, by the way, like it's getting, like, I remember you reached out to me, like from the lucky ones, I have so many people, producers, like podcasts, like, uh, I, I just send it, like, like, as scroll down a screen recording, you'll see what's going on. Like, I'm just not responding anymore, but like, maybe in a few days I'll start looking at it and I'm going to respond and, and, and stuff like that. And I could definitely give you tips on how to get out people properly in, in the normal way, in the legal way. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening until the end. My heart goes out for this young man, Mendy. And I hope everyone here can do their part in sharing the story, not donating money to Left a Heart, keeping your eyes open for any cult-like activity in your communities. One thing I know about podcasting is that it's such a powerful tool. We have done such incredible things and spread so much information about such important topics, and this is one of them. If you would like to reach out to me personally, please check in the show notes for my Instagram. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to. Tell a friend about it. Check out some of our older episodes and stay tuned for the next one. And if you or anyone you know is looking to launch a podcast, please do reach out and ask me about my services. And if you enjoy this podcast, you might also enjoy listening to other JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcasts like Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, Chochmat Nashim, and Let My People Eat. I hope you have a great week and see you next time. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.